different now. I'm trying to sing it. Probably new to a lot of you. I think if you grow up in a in a in a Baptist Sunday school, this would be a song that frequently sound. Things are different now, okay? Let's see if we can sing it all the way through. Things are different now. Something happened to me when I gave my heart to Jesus. Things are different now. I was changed, it must be when I gave my heart to She brought it upstairs and we wanted to have that. 
And so my filter is gone because of Krispy Kreme and coffee. <laughs> so because of Krispy Kreme and coffee, my filter went away. <laughs> you, you, you think I'm joking, right? I am. But it did help. It did help coffee and Krispy Kreme donuts. I think she's bringing the leftovers today and there's more donuts than someone else brought today. So I'm kind of sick of donuts right now, Francis. <laughs> Krispy Kreme donuts. I gotta show it to you when I get with you. Okay? Alright, Tang? Yeah, I will. Show it to you. I need some advice. Okay. Alright. Uh, Nathan and Chris, not Nathan, but Nathan and the five kids, older kids, are in California now. They left Wednesday night. They're there safely. They've already done a little bit of hiking, but he's uh, preaching a couple of churches in California. Then they're gonna drive over to Arizona, and then he has a meeting there, and then he's gonna be taking the five kids uh, to the Grand Canyon and do some hiking and camping. Not sure why, because there's no hot water, there's no showers in the Grand Canyon, but they're gonna do that. And so, you know, when you're young, you can do that kind of stuff. Now, speaking of traveling, speaking of traveling, these are some places I want you to, this is very serious. So listen very, very clearly. This is serious about some towns in the US. Listen carefully, very serious about traveling. And you need to see this country of ours. I was holed up in Boring, Oregon. Boring, Oregon wondering whether I should try something different. So I hopped in my car and drove to Y, Arizona, to figure things out. Town of Boring, drove to the town of Y, Arizona. You kind of know where I'm going to go with this. After a few days in Y, Arizona, I found my answer in Why Not, Mississippi. I need, yeah, real names. I found myself uh, in, I found my answer in Why Not, Mississippi, I needed a town with some life to it. I made a beeline to Disco, Tennessee, where I danced so much I wore my shoes off. The next day I headed to Loafer's Glory, North Carolina. Real town, Loafer's Glory, North Carolina. Afterward, I looked sharp enough to take a break in Handsome Eddie, New York. Eddie wasn't around, but I knew where to find him in Love Ladies, New Jersey, where it seemed that all the women were trying to get to husband, Pennsylvania. <laughs> it was a tough town. One gal told me my romance needed work and sent me to Sweet Lips, Tennessee. Heartbroken, I put the car in cruise control and drove to Lonelyville, New York. Lonelyville, New York. I made a pit stop in the bottle, Alabama, and finally hit rock bottom in Condemned Bar, California. A town. Ethan doesn't even know. Not surprisingly, I woke up the next morning in Cranky Corner, Louisiana. I knew that if I continued like this, pulling myself together, I grabbed breakfast in Oatmeal, Texas. Lunched in Sandwich, Massachusetts, and had dessert in Pie Town, New Mexico. I should have stopped eating after Greasy, Oklahoma, because I was feeling pretty sick by the time I left Lick Skillet, Tennessee. When I got to Brilliant, Ohio, it finally dawned on me I had to cease my wandering ways. So I parked in Do Stop, Kentucky, took out the map. I chose a new home. I didn't need wealthy Texas or fame 
West Virginia, I found everything I needed in Happy Land, Oklahoma. <laughs> Those are real places. Look them up, but not right now. What? Those are real places. Those are good places. Now, if you spend time with Ethan, you find out one thing. You won't have a chance to talk. Because Ethan does all the talking. Jabber, jabber, jabber. Alright, come to 2 Kings chapter 22 and chapter 23. Now, your current event made me think about teaching this today. And at 10.45, Hugh's going to be uh, preaching because I wasn't so sure how I was going to be feeling, but uh, so that's the schedule for today. <clears throat> the, word, the word for today is the word that is in the news. That word is, is revival. That's the word. When we look at the word revival and how it connects to what the Bible says about revival, and um, revival, according to the dictionary, means several things, but it's kind of like the idea um, back, back from, back to the original place, anew, once more, the idea of undoing or backward, to recover from a state of oblivion, to recover vigor, to raise from languor, and it's a revival. It's a, it's a, you're down, but now you come back up. Look at the, uh, the bulletin that came online to you, email, did you send? Oh, she didn't send yet. Send yet. But uh, there's a picture of a man who was boxing and he got knocked down. And so the verse is there in, uh, I think it's from the Psalms, Psalm 85, 6, about uh, without revive, not revive us again. And so it's about a man who's been knocked down and then him getting back up, being revived again. Revive, uh, restore something that has been uh, done, you then it's been depleted, then you do it again. You restore it or rejuvenate. Rejuvenate a lot of products. Um, re rejuvenate your skin. Of course, my skin, if your skin is like mine, it's baby-like. It's perfect. It's, uh, it's very tender. And, um, serious. So, but people, women especially, like to rejuvenate your skin. And uh, re, the word, the word re, re, that little prefix word, re is to, is to do again, like replenish the earth. The earth was full of life and everything else until the flood came in. So Noah's told to replenish the earth, fill it again, do it again. So re revival is to revive something that was not so life, full of life, but now it's kind of diminished, it's kind of dead, and now it has been revived. So uh, a revival of a sports team that had a losing streak, but now they begin to win, so they have been revived to uh, past glories. For example, I don't like this team, but the Green Bay Packers, uh, they're known for world championships, Super Bowl kind of thing, but they haven't won too many championships in the last few years. And so when they win it, they talk about regaining the glory. There's a revival in, in football town in um, Wisconsin, all the kind of thing. And so the, the word re revival is to, you get the idea that it is about something that was down, it's going to come back up again. Uh, something that was good, then it's falling apart, and then you're going to revive this and start up again. You get a junk car. You get a junk car, and you fix it up, and then you revive it to its former state of good condition. 
I'm not a mechanic, and maybe Tang knows more a lot, a lot more about this. Actually, a little bit more than I do about cars. <laughs> the guy's building a car, re redoing a car, the junk parts, whatever like that. And I watched that. I'm thinking, man, this guy's got so much talent. I'm kind of jealous of this guy, but I'm still better looking than he is. <laughs> and so I got no worries, you know. <laughs> Bad start today. <laughs> but um, something junk, but it was good. Uh, I saw on YouTube this guy has had found. An old rusty hammer, all caked in rust, and somehow rejuvenated the thing. Looks brand new. It was good. He went bad out of uh, neglect, be not weather, and then he did something. Some of it is chemical, and the thing has been restored again to original uh, glory. So the idea of revival is to bring life to something. Uh, do something, but there's a lot of things connected to something coming back from the dead, so to speak. Uh, come to Second Kings chapter 22. Second Kings chapter 22. In chapter 22, there was a revival in some of the uh, kings of Judah in the Old Testament. Of course, you know that the nation of Israel was split to two, ten. Ten tribes would be the northern kingdom, and then two tribes would be the southern kingdom, so north and south. And the southern the southern kingdom, Judah, had good revivals through it. The northern kingdom had no revivals. The northern kings were always bad, they were always evil, always disobedient, always rebellious. The southern kingdom had a more tender heart toward God and to the Bible and scriptures, and so they had more revivals than others. Jehoshaphat had a revival, David had a revival, Solomon had a revival. And then a young boy king. This boy king was only eight years old. This boy king. Just eight years old. Just eight years old, this boy king. Josiah. Eight years old when he began to reign. His father's assassinated, so he was next in line. And so Josiah, the boy king, during his reign of over 30 years, he had a revival. And this is what chapter 22 is about. Look at chapter 22. We're going to skim through it, not every verse, but see the highlights of this chapter. Second Kings chapter 22. It is right after First Kings. First Kings and Second Kings. Chapter 22. Josiah was eight years old, verse number one. He was eight years old when he began to reign. He reigned 30 and one years in Jerusalem. Now we'll skip down to verse number two. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the way of David his father and turned on the side to the right hand or to the left. And so verse two is about the, the totality of his 31 year reign. Uh, he didn't do right right away, but just a few years after he became the king, he began to do some things and to see some things and learn some things and he did that which was right now the northern kings the northern kings all corrupt none of them did right the southern kings where Josiah came from many of them did right things and so Josiah this boy king Verse 2 says, he did that which is right in the sight of the Lord. He didn't just do right because he was the king and did it publicly or administratively, but he did the right thing because personally he did the right thing. It says, 
in the sight of the Lord. That means he was aware that God was around, God saw, God watched, and he did things to honor God in his private life as well. And so he walked in all the ways of David's father. And come down to verse number 3. Now, in verses 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. In these verses, the king has people who are tradesmen. They are called upon because of the skill to do some things for the kingdom. They are builders. In verse number 6, carpenters, builders, masons, and then people would buy timber and hewn stone to repair the house, the, the temple. And so all these skilled people were, were, were contracted, but then they had to be paid. And so the king says, we got to pay these men who are working. Kind of a good deal, yeah? Pay people who work. And so, um, and there was no union here, which was in a way good because the king paid them what they were worth and the quality of the work. And so he told his people to go to the treasury, find the money to pay these people for their work. And so in that process of finding the money in the treasury to pay the laborers for what they do, in verse number 8, Hilkiah the high priest and unto Shaphan the scribe. You have a, a high priest, you have a scribe, someone who wrote things down, someone who was given words to write down by the king. Verse 8, Hilkiah the high priest said unto Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan and he read it. So you're going to find this story about what brought, what brought this to this boy king. And what brought this king to do a, some good moves and to do some good things for his kingdom. Because he found something. It says that they found something and they found this. They found this thing that was rolled like that, and then it was connected like this. There's another little piece of wood there. And it would open up like that, and you have words written on top of this. So this was a scroll, and you would roll it open like this on a table, and it was kind of long. It could go for yards, and you would... When you were done, you roll it back up into a resistance like that, and then you roll up again. They found this in the treasury of all places. They found a book, a scroll, where money was kept, gold, silver, and other kind of things. And so they found this, and they, they read it to each other, and then somehow they said, we got to tell the king about this. And so in chapter 22, in verse number 8, Hilkiah the high priest said unto Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law. They found scriptures. In the house of the Lord, and Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. Look at verse 9. And Shaphan the scribe came to the king. Well, that was a smart thing to do. They found something important to the nation of Israel, to Judah. And the scribe said, i got to take this to the king. It's kind of necessary and important for them to tell the king what's going on, rather than keep it to themselves. And brought the king word again and said, Thy servants have gathered the money that was found in the house, and have delivered it unto the hand of them that do the work. So they got paid. They found the money in the treasury to pay the laborers, the skilled people that have the oversight of the house of the Lord. Verse 10. And Shaphan the scribe showed the king, saying, 
the Kaiser priest has delivered me a book. Uh, Your Majesty, uh, we found the money, but we also found something else. We, we found the money that was necessary to pay the laborers, because they got to eat too, they got to buy cars, they got to buy this, they got to pay rent, everything else too. So we found all the money here, Your Majesty, but we also found, we found that, we also found this. We found, we found the book. We found, we found the scriptures that we have not had for years in our kingdom. And so this is what has happened. Now all of this that you're going to read here is going gonna, is gonna to tell you how this boy king had a revival in his kingdom. And what you find happened there is what you should look for when there was a revival in modern times. That's what you should look for. This is how you can tell if a revival today is real or fake. So I ask you the question, is it possible to have a fake revival? Is it possible for people in the name of Christ and religion to have something that goes on that's pretty spectacular, but it's not real? Very possible. So you find in chapter 22 and 23 the marks of real spiritual revival. So let's go down to verse number uh, 11. 22, 11. And it came to pass when the king had heard the words of the book of the law, he rent his clothes. Okay, the first thing you see that happened when there was a, a real revival is the king he rent his clothes now what does rending what does rending mean he, he rent his clothes this is a this is an old jewish custom most of the old testament it happened in jesus time too but uh when people first of all he heard he heard the the scribe read scriptures to the king and in response, in response to hearing the scriptures, the king, he ripped. <laughs> he ripped his clothes. Now what does ripping clothes mean? Ripping clothes is an indication that I am, what? What? What did that say? Read, read that again. No, oh no, we are so guilty what this is saying. Oh, we are so, we have offended God so much. And he... In his, in his feeling so bad, feeling guilty, convicted, he just, he ripped his clothes. That was to indicate that he was full of conviction, he was sorry, sorry for his people, for the nation, how they mistreated God and disobeyed him, and so he ripped his clothes. So that's the first thing that happened in Second Kings 22, verse number 11. The king heard the words of the book, then he rent his clothes. He ripped it apart. He's really, really upset. You ever see someone really upset? <laughs> you ever see someone really, really upset? They act differently when they're really upset. Drive down the highway, you see someone put on makeup. Makes men really upset. Drive down the road, see someone talking on the phone. You get really upset about that. Or they're texting. Or you see someone driving with their feet. For fun. You know, guys do that around here. Drive with their feet or one leg out the window and with the other leg driving the, the steering wheel. You get upset about certain things, and then uh, somebody breaks into your house, you get upset about that. Someone does something wrong in politics or in government, or some, some uh, you know, something immoral happens. You get very upset about certain things. Well, King, the boy King Josiah in this chapter, when he hears the Bible, the scriptures, it's a record of how bad the nation of Israel was, and how God was so thin that he let them go into captivity. Off you go to Babylon for seven years. Off you go to Syria and 
and all these deportations and the city of Jerusalem is left by itself uh, unattended, nobody's there all the Jews are taken away the, the city of Jerusalem, the temple it, it falls apart, the walls come crashing down, eventually after seven years weeds grow over the place, it's just it's like uh, when you drive down Kalihi Valley and you see all this mildew and all this mold on, on block walls and things, it looks kind of like not too safe to be in I've seen walls in Kalihi Valley, some, some of the walls, block walls, tile walls and things, it's just black with, with mold, it's just ugh. Makes you feel kind of sick just to look at it, even with your windows up in the car. <coughs> so, Jerusalem has fallen apart, the temple has been destroyed, and there's rubble all over the place. And he says, this is why it's happened. And so Josiah reads about these things, the cause as to why the nations were taking away captivity. And so, he's, he's, he's convicted about that. He feels like, what can I do about this? I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't responsible for God judging our nations. He wasn't. It was his father, his grandfather, and other kings before that. And so, but he's grieved because of what God has done to his own people. Now, if you thought that God was always love and nice and, and sweet and kind and like a divine Santa Claus, he never gets upset, then you need to just remember that the Bible teaches that God is, is like a father who has different emotions. And God is like a father who loves his children, but he also will chastise them when they do wrong. Have you ever had a father or known a father? Not have you ever had a father, but if your father had loved you and cared for you and raised you right, he sometimes got upset with you when you were young. Isn't that so? And if you know some fathers who are good dads, they love their kids, provide for them, but they also, when necessary, chastise their kids. And sometimes kids just don't obey, so God, uh, human fathers have to do something to correct them while they're young, so that they don't grow up to be criminals, end up in halava prison. You know why some guys end up in halava prison? Number one, their father taught them right, but the boy had a hard head, hard like this piece of wood, hard like the floor. They just don't listen. Not in the ear out the other, in the ear and bounce back. And they just don't listen. And so the kids are uh, growing up, they don't think that the dad means what he says. The dad doesn't do what he says he's going to do. You know, fathers sometimes say, you do it again, I'm going to spank you until tomorrow, or whatever. And the boy says, first you're scared, and then afterwards, the father keeps telling that, and the father never does anything, does anything. And the boy keeps thinking, you know what? Dad doesn't mean what he says. And so I just keep on stealing, keep on, first you're stealing comic books, then you're stealing other things, then you're stealing cars, then you're stealing, you know, breaking, entering, whatever. And then it leads to arrest. And then he's shocked that he's arrested. He's shocked that he's arrested. Why would he be shocked that he's arrested? He probably knows that if he breaks the law, if he gets caught, before the, go to jail, before the judge, sentencing, and a lot of prison. He knows that, but he says, I've gotten away with it so far, for so many years, no one's going to catch me. My dad didn't really punish me, so I think I can talk my out of things. Gets before the judge, says, you are a horrible, disciple piece of humanity. <laughs> and the judge says, you are just the judge says, son, didn't you know any better? Yes, your honor, I did. Well, why don't you do better? He says, uh, I don't know. The judge says, not a good answer. I don't know. Well, uh, tell me, young man, what's the reason, what's the good reason you can give to me why I should not throw the book at you in 25 years uh, behind bars? Uh, and and you, you do this. This is the worst thing to do to a judge. <laughs> I don't know. Judge is going to say, all right, out you go. Instead of 25 years, here's what I'm going to do. 
Yes, Your Honor, I'll give you 45 years. Because you just don't, and in prison he gets it. Now that is like the Hebrew kings and people, they got away with idolatry, they got away with all this fornication and stuff, and they thought that God's not gonna chastise them. And the book that he read says, this is why God sent them off into captivity. And he is so, so upset about that, he tears his clothes. He's very upset, he's very convicted. Um, now, you don't have to get like that to show you're upset about the wrongs that you've done. Tear your clothes. Now, don't go tearing out your clothes, but you do. You, you should feel something when you when you get a spiritual punch in the jaw. You, you know what I'm saying? Look at verse number 12. And the king commanded Hilkiah the priest in Ahikam. Hey, did you know how Ahikam is spelled? Look at that word, Ahikam. Verse 12. Ahai K-A-M. You know another K-A-M? Yeah. <laughs> okay, all right. So I am actually officially sort of famous. That's the king that lives in I am. Yeah. <laughs> the son of Shaphan. Now, come down to verse 13. So I hope you get the picture of what's going on so far. Now, verse 13. After the king hears the words, after he's convicted, he says in verse number 13, Go ye and inquire the Lord for me and for the people, and for all Judah, concern the words of this book that is found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us, because our fathers have not hearkened unto the words of this book, to do according to unto all that which is written concerning us. And so the king says, all right, now I want you to, I want you to get, in verse number 13, I want you to uh, ask the Lord to, to tell me what I should do. Tell me what I should tell the people to do about the words that I have heard. I know that our fathers have not listened to and obeyed what God said, but we want to do the right thing. So in verses 14, verse 15, verse 16, verse 17, It is confirmed again, this is why you have had judgment, because you've been disobedient. Now look at verse 18. But to the king of Judah, which sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus shall you say to him, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, as touching the words which thou hast heard, concerning the words that you have heard, verse 19, because thine heart was tender, and thou hast humbled thyself before the Lord, when thou heardest what I spake against this place and against the inhabitants thereof, that they should become a desolation and a curse, and has rent thy clothes and wept before me. I also have heard thee, saith the Lord. Behold, therefore, I will gather thee unto thy fathers. You will die, and thou shalt be gathered unto the grave in peace. Thine eyes shall not see all the evil which I will bring upon this place. So the word that he got was because you have been repentant, you've been humbled, and you have showed sincerity toward me and how you want to obey what the Bible says. I will not hold back judgment, but I'll hold it back long enough so that when, you, when you're through a terrain and when you die, you die in peace. You not have the grief of seeing your people destroyed. So that was God giving him mercy because of his heart being humbled and repentant and uh, sorrowful.
So in a revival, you have the same kind of feeling among people, among Christians. Look at chapter 23 of the same book, 2 Kings. Now, you're going to find this chapter, because the king's heart was humble, was tender, uh, tender, tender. Yesterday, a guy came by in a steak truck. I think the, the company is over by Hamishire Market. This guy came by in a steak truck. Big guy. Big guy. Likes to eat meat, he says. He came by. We were cleaning the car. And he's trying to sell us uh, these flash, flash, flash frozen steaks. Different kind of steaks. And uh, supposed to be cheaper than what you buy at Costco and everywhere else. Um, and so I couldn't tell him no. Because he put him out, such a good seller. Put him out, you know, and talked me into good. I was about to say yes, but I said this. When my wife's upstairs, my dog's in the house. Let me go ask them. <laughs> I couldn't tell him no. So I didn't say that to him, but I was thinking, wow, that's a good deal. He says, you can get this, this sirloin steaks and whatever else over here uh, for the price of chicken. He said, this is cheaper than Costco. And I knew that it was cheaper than Costco. And so... So for the price of chicken, get steaks, a whole case of them. And so I couldn't say no, but I didn't want to tell them I can't say no. So I made an excuse and went into the house. I said, Kristen, there's a guy here trying to sell some steaks. You went, are you interested? She did this. <laughs> right away, without hearing it, she said, she told me there's no room in the freezer. So I went upstairs, I told her, she says, but I had to tell the guy something. <laughs> and so I came down. And then I had Kristen come see. Um, so she came out. I said, Kristen, I can't tell him no. You tell him no. <laughs> so, so she came out, you know, she's standing and listening to his, his uh, presentation. And, and then she asked some questions I never thought about asking. And he kind of, you know, went back around the corner or whatever like that. But she finally said no. I said to the guy, I said, you know, maybe next time. I said, no today may not be no next month. And he had come down to the circle to, you know, supply some other customers, supposedly. And so, but a uh, real nice guy, very persuasive. He almost got me to buy the steaks. I would have to pay, pay $250 for the whole case of steaks. But it's supposed to be cheaper. But then my, my, uh, my daughter-in-law says, we would not buy these things normally. This kind of cuts the meat. But uh, so anyway, it was a good deal for those who eat like that. And uh, he said... He said, you know this signature steakhouse by Alamoana? That thing's really expensive. He says, yeah, it's really expensive. Just think, if you get this, you get all of these steak dinners for the price of one meal over there. I said, I know that's true. I know that's true. But I said, you know, sorry. I cannot, I cannot argue against the women what they say. I said, in my house, the women rule. And so he said, I got that, bra. I got that, bra. I understand that. Only the kitchen. She said, only in the kitchen. <laughs> it's not, it's kind of not true though, actually. They're real in other ways too. You know, sometimes she'll tell me, honey, look what I saw on Facebook Market. I said, what? I know what's coming. Look at this, look at this, look at that, look at that. Can we go pick that up? And do I want to pick it up? No. And she said, oh, but look, 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 I said, where is it? You know, she says, now listen to this. She says, Ever Beach. <laughs> okay, now, see, I hate going to Ever Beach. Now, if you live at Ever Beach, nothing against you. 
But I hate going to Elm Beach because you get to go down the freeway, go down past the hospital, go down Fort Weaver Road. A lot of times it's way down toward Campbell High School. And then you got to turn to the right, and then you got all the GPS over here like this. Now watch this now. Watch this. This is how Elm Beach is. This is why I hate it. Come down the freeway, down Fort Weaver, turn over here, all la, 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 and turn over here, and come over here, and go like that, and go here, and go there, and over here, and then it's over there. <laughs> by the time I go get that to save $5, I spent $45 in gas. <laughs> so I said, not ever beach. And then she'll do this. But the kids, the grandkids can use it. I don't care about the grandkids. <laughs> I'm not going to do all that just to save $5. Oh. And then I'm over here like thinking, okay. So, um, she rules not just the kitchen. Yeah, you got to tell the rest. And... What's the rest? There's no rest. I do it. I do it because you rule. Okay, that's kind of like a joke, but it's real. <laughs> now let's go to 2 Kings chapter 23. Now that the king has been convicted, he has been grieved, he's been humbled, he's he's not in a place of negotiations. Now when, a, when there's a revival of an individual, the person who is feeling like this king, he doesn't feel like he has any bargaining chips. He doesn't feel like he's got a, uh, uh, what do you call those cards, you guys who play cards, uh, ace, or what do you call it, uh, a card... Um, it, it means a lot of things. It's like Joker, wild card. Yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't feel like he has any standing to deal and to make deals. He's 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 not in that position. He's in a merciful begging position. He he's not on equal footing where he can negotiate with God. He's just Lord, I need mercy. That's all he's thinking about. It's a good position to be in. Now, in chapter 23, um, some good things will happen because the king is having a personal revival. In chapter 23, verse number 2, And the king went up unto the house of the Lord, and all the men of the Judah and of the inhabitants of Jerusalem with him. The whole crowd, the whole nation is assembling, and the priests and the prophets and all the people, both small and great, meaning those who are important people in government, the great are people who have position in government. They're upper middle class. They're high class. They're you know they're not just um, small people. Small people are not related to size, not at all. It's the small and great is about position in life. And so those who are important, well-known people, um, the Elon Musk type people, well-known, and other people like that. And then you have nobody people, small people like you and me. We we have no significance in this world. Um, nobody comes interviews us for Fox News. You know they don't know who we are, and uh, we're small and great people like that. So you understand the, the the sense of this. And so they all assembled before the king, and he read in their ears all the words of the book of the covenant, which was found in the house of the Lord. So here's what you have: you have the, the this is this is found in the in the treasury, and thrown with the money is something more valuable than money. Isn't that funny? Here's something where money should be in the treasury. But thrown under that pile of silver and gold and jewelry and everything else, there was a scroll, the Bible, the scriptures. So to me, it's kind of funny. With something precious like this, it's found something that's more precious than that. The scribe reads it. 
The priest reads it, and the scribe, the scribe reads it to the king. The king is all convicted, and now he has the people assemble. And now the king reads the Bible, the scriptures to all the nation. You see what's happening here? They pass it on. And the man who has the, the authority and the influence to let the world, uh, his world, uh, hear it, he authorizes it to be read himself. I'm the king, I can read it, what I want, I can read what I want. He reads the scripture to people, and he wants them to see and hear what he has seen and heard. He wants them to feel like he feel, felt when he heard it himself. So what was good for him, he wants good for them. That's kind of fun how this works out, doesn't it? You find something good, you want someone else to get it too. Isn't that so? Yeah. You know, Michael Lee, Michael Lee, Michael Lee always is telling me, hey, hey, you know what, uh, and he, it's all about cars. He says, um, I found this thing uh, to clean windows, I found this thing to clean, uh, you know, all, all these kind of things. He said, I got this thing that can shampoo the interior of your car, fabric of the car. I said, not suspicious, but he's always coming up with these things that are helpful things. Which is a good trick people to have. You, you got a good sale, got a good deal, why don't you pass it on somebody else? So someone else can benefit from the good sale, the good deal. Like the steak truck guy. Anyway, the king is passing on the scriptures to the people. And that's verse number two. Now look at verse number three. And the king stood by a pillar and made a covenant before the Lord. To walk with, now the covenant is God, the king saying, all right. Before the whole nation, he says, I'm going to promise you that I'm promising God to behave in a certain way and to do certain things as a king. He says, from this day forward, it's like a marriage vow. A marriage vow done the proper way is done publicly with witnesses. And you're promising to each other certain things by vows. You're promising to each other uh, fidelity to one another before others as witnesses. And he is promising before the whole nation here is how I'm going to rule in my kingdom. He's not keeping it to himself. He's letting everybody know so that he is held accountable to them. The king stood by a pillar, verse 3, made a covenant before the Lord to do this, to walk after the Lord. He says, as king, I'm going to follow. I'm going to walk after. I'm going to walk. I'm going to. God is going to be my model. I'm going to follow my model. God's going to be my pattern. I'm going to pattern my life like God is. The scripture is my guidebook. I'm going to follow that scripture like uh, like it is my guidebook. Like the Bible is my constitution, in other words. I'm going to follow my constitution, which is the scriptures. That's what he's saying. He says, I don't know what you guys think out here. I don't know what your lieutenants think, what your captains, what your generals think. I know one thing. I'm going to make a vow to you today that I, I make a covenant for the Lord to walk after us. So whatever I do as a king, even though I'm a kid, whatever I do as a king, you can be sure one thing he's saying, I will follow what the scriptures say. That is my mandate. That is my orders. That's my marching order. I'm going to do that. If you don't like it on this section of my kingdom, what can I say? But I can't do anything else but do what that says. What you should do is conform to the scriptures like I'm conforming to the scriptures. And that's what he was trying to say to everybody. And do you know that... Um, there's a lot less trouble in a church when people have the same mentality. We're all going to follow what the Bible says, not because, oh, this deacon says that, or this person says this, or this guy's got influence, da, 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 and uh, we should do it. He, no, 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 no. That's political. That's politics. Politics has no place in a church where you, you know, oh, well, you know, um, because I gave so much to the church, 
then I have the right to, you know, order things around, things like that. Or because I have, I'm the mayor, I'm the mayor of City Hong Kong, Honolulu. So uh, uh, because I'm the mayor, uh, I can I can do what I want in the church. Not at all. Uh, they all conform to what the scriptures say. That's what he's telling them. And keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all their heart and all their soul. Now he's saying this in a revival, the individual, the individual will do like this: that he will walk with God as sincerely and as as uh, devotedly uh, to the Lord like this, with all their heart and all their soul. You know, that's kind of like really a strong commitment with all your heart and soul. You ever hear that song a long time ago? Uh, it's a love song. It's about um, the idea is I will swim the deepest ocean and climb the highest mountain kind of thing. It's about my devotion to this woman. I love you so much. I'll do this for you. Please marry me. Uh, or even after marriage, and he says, I will do these things for you. That is to say, this guy's trying to express my commitment to you. And I am so sincere about this that the sentiment is, is I will do all these things for you. Now, I don't know if I'll do that from Rana swim the deepest ocean, because I don't like deep water. I like shallow water, six feet. I like that kind. Uh, high mountains, I have a love for high mountains selectively. I choose the mountains I want to climb. Um, I like steep mountains if along the way there's rest stops and there are places to just sit down and rest. Some of you like to go up Cocoa Head. Why? I know Cocoa is a really steep one and it's like challenging, but um, he's saying, I will prove to you, you should, you should prove to God your sincerity. Keep his law with all your heart, all the soul. Football coaches, listen to this one. Football coaches are committed to their sport in their heart and soul. You know that college football coaches and professional football coaches, they're so committed to their team during football season, they hardly go home maybe for a few hours a day and they stay in the office before games, after games, game film with coaches, the coaching staff, they have no life with your families during football season. They're so devoted to the sport that they have a life that is just consumed. They're consumed by football. Now, that idea is kind of like what he's saying over here. If you're sincere, you are, you are devoted. You're almost consumed without being fanatical. There's a difference. All right, so verse 3 again. Watch carefully. And all the people stood to the covenant. You know what that means? Number one. The king read and stood, the, read the law and stood there and made a commitment for all the people and told them you should do the same thing. And the third thing that happens in verse number three is the people stood to the covenant. They agreed. They agreed to the king's words. They agreed to his challenge. They said, okay, we will do that. Figuratively, they all stood at attention and they saluted the king and said, yes, sir, we will do that. They agreed. The whole nation agreed. Now, I don't think they all agreed because they all felt the same as the king, but they all agreed because the king wanted them to agree and they had to obey the king. So that, that's in play too. Uh, you, you cannot make anybody do anything. You cannot make somebody worship God or obey God. You cannot make anybody do anything that's right to do. Now, you can tell them, you can urge them, you can try to persuade them, and hopefully a few will, will buy into it, but you cannot make anybody do the right thing. Uh, do you realize that is true? Yep. 
You cannot make them do anything. They can know. They can know this is good, this is right. But they they can be forced at, at, at gunpoint or a, a knife to the back of the head, a threat. They can do that, but when they're not threatened, they won't do it. And so the people did stand to the covenant. They agreed. Hopefully they would mean that. Well, so now here's what happens. The king... I'm talking about the word revival and what it does. Verse 4, and the marks of a real revival. Verse 4, and the king commanded Hilkiah the high priest and the priests of the second order and the keepers of the door to bring forth out of the temple of the Lord all the vessels that were made for Baal and for the grove and for all the hosts of heaven. And he burned them without Jerusalem, outside of Jerusalem, in the fields of Kidron, and carried the ashes of them unto Bethel. Now here's what the king's going to do. And in this chapter, you're going to find something good happening. It looks bad. The king is going to prove that he's serious about what he said to the people, but he's going to prove that he was serious before God when he read it and he heard the scriptures himself. And so he would take action. Uh, so all of this is about action. The king is going to actually follow through what he it, what was in his heart and what he said he's going to do. You're going to find some wording in this chapter that makes you think, you know, this guy is serious. All right, so the first thing he did was he cleansed the temple. What? The temple is dirty? Not dirty because it was like that trash. People left, you know, uh, coffee cake crumbs or coffee. No, no. It was trash because of idolatry. There were vessels in the temple made for false gods, Baal, B-A-A-L. They're made for the grove, places where they had temples for false worship. And so this is in the temple. This is like saying, uh, to, to give you an idea, this is like saying in the church, somebody brings in, hiding under the, the donut table, or the coffee table, um, drugs, alcohol, vodka, beer cases, uh, cigarettes, um, Pornography, mm, stolen goods, things like whatever it is, is tucked underneath that little tablecloth. Can you imagine that? Now, if that was there like that in the church, if that was that in the church, we would not stand for that, would we? But that was in the temple. Now, we don't have any idols back there with the other kind of stuff that's wrong, but they did. So listen, the king says, Let's clean it out. Not just take it out. Not just bag it with hefty bags and dump it in the dumpster. No, let's burn it. Let's burn the thing to ashes so no one can ever use it again. That's how serious he was about it. So the things that I mentioned just now is to make what they did for you to understand how it would be today. Okay? So let's say, let's say an individual who is serious about his walk with God, then he would look inside of his heart he would say to himself, okay, what is dirty in my life? And he would stop doing that. That's what he would do. It doesn't matter who it's a male or female or a, a child or adult or a senior. It doesn't matter who it was. If it was a Christian, he would stop. He would destroy, get rid of. And that's what he did. The king took steps to destroy things that offended God. Look at verse 5. Just quickly, he put down the idolatrous priest. He got rid of the false priest, the priest who encouraged people to worship false gods. 
<coughs> Verse 7. <coughs> he break down the houses of the Sodomites. What? He break down the house of the Sodomites. Now the King just now is very plain. <coughs> Pardon me. <coughs> what you're reading in the totality of this chapter is everything that caused God to be angry with them, he took away. He doesn't want God to be mad at him. Took it away. Got rid of it. Verse 12. <coughs> you have the words here. The king beat down and break them down from tents. Verse 14. Again, he break in pieces. <coughs> Verse 15. The altar at Bethel break down and burn. Verse 20. Slew all the priests. Here's what he reinstalled. The Passover. So what you find here, I have water on you. What you have here is the king falling through because he got a personal revival. So um, the revival at uh, Kentucky in Ashbury, they say this revival has been going on for a couple of weeks or so. You want to evaluate that and see if it is a biblical revival or not. Now, there have been recent revivals in, our, in recent times in America, and they have called it a revival in anointing, all these kind of things. They throw all these words to it to make it sound like God is there, God did this. Let me give you a warning here, okay? We are as Christians to try the spirits, not accept everything that comes along. Right. Everything that comes along. Francis, come in for a quick, quick, Francis, quick. Okay, I want you to do something for me. Um, uh, just come through the door. Just come through the door. Watch this now. I want, I want to teach them. Come through the door. Yeah. Okay, Francis. Francis, what are you selling, Francis? He's selling something. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to check it out. Go back again. Here comes another guy. He's going to peddle and sell something. What are you selling this time? Go back again. The second time he is selling something. Third time he comes through, a different same something comes again. Now what? Selling something else? Now, whatever you're selling, let me look at it. Let me check it out. Let me see if it's legitimate. I want to see if your steaks are for real. Thanks, friends. Now, I'm not just going to open my wallet. Okay, here. I'm going to check it out. When there's a so-called spiritual revival, you want to check it out too. Okay, so come again, Francis. Sorry, I know you got to work today, but... I apologize now. Yeah, yeah, well. There's no money in the church to pay you. No, go go, uh, go to the door here. It's kind of hard to pit. give instructions to people who don't listen. You know? Okay, Come in. You're having a revival? He's going to have a revival called the, the Laughing Revival. Laugh. <laughs> that was a pathetic laugh. Laugh like you're laughing. <laughs> that's, a, that's a laugh. <laughs> okay, now listen. The, there was a Laughing Revival. There was a Laughing Revival. In, in Toronto, Canada. The evangelists, they came around the country, Rodney Howard Brown, he would say, laugh, laugh from your belly. Oh, 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 oh. Ah, 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 ah. Laugh from the inner belly. And everybody in the, in the big mass crowds would be laughing, falling on the floor, rolling. And that was him saying, we're going to have a laughing revival. 
out the door. Gone. No good. No good. No good. Out. Out. No. Out the door. And then come back again. That last revival was not from God. It's not a revival. Oh, here's another guy. What's your revival about? Your revival is about healings and miracles. Touch me on the head. Tell me I'm healed. You're healed. <laughs> you know what I'm going to say? Ha 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 ha. I'm laughing at you. Here comes this people. They're going to promote a revival of the, the, the fivefold ministry of the apostles, and everybody's going to be healed. We're going to train how to heal people. We're going to teach you how to speak in tongues. We're going to teach you how to do the miraculous things the apostles did. And I'm going to say, out the door. Back, out, go, go, go. I have examined number two, and I found them lacking in credibility because that's not what God did. Now, here comes another guy, number three. Now, you can sit down. Thank you. Now, that is to explain to you that many kinds of revivals can come through our country and the, and the world, but it's not from God because when you examine it, when you check it out, you find out that this is not, it doesn't, it doesn't meet some of the criteria for what is a true Holy Spirit revival. So sometimes you can get deceived because everybody is so sensational. Uh, the last revival also involved the barking like animals. You've seen, you go to YouTube videos and you see, just type in laughing revival or People barking. You have women. You have women barking like dogs, crawling the floor in the church like a dog barking. Woo, woo, woo. And I can see everybody going crazy saying, yeah, this is the Holy Spirit is with us. Kind of, that is nonsense. So be discerning and not accept everything as if God is doing it in the name of revival. Uh, when there is a revival, a real revival, you're going to have some of these things take place. Now, I will, I will end this lesson by telling you Every Christian can have a personal revival. That's right. I will say also, America likely would not have a revival like Josiah because there's no, in the last days, no indication of things getting better. Don't look for things getting better in the last days. Look for things getting worse. More people coming in through, selling more kind of things. And some of them, you can see in the secular world, you think, God cannot give revival in this, this type of culture. But who can have revival be the individual Christian or an individual church or churches? Because they, have, they, have, they can have, quote, control over how they respond to the Bible. They can have control over that. So is that Ashbury revival in Kentucky? Is it from God? Well, I'm not sure yet. I'm still investigating that. And I've read people who have checked it out. But I know that you're going to have to find some of these marks if it's a real... Uh, Holy Spirit revival. People's lives turn from uncleanness to cleanness, etc. Okay, that's how that works out. Um, you, you just cannot, you just cannot say God has really worked in my heart and still beat up your wife. You cannot say, "Oh, I'm so in love with Jesus and you are unfaithful to your husband." You cannot have that. You cannot say. Oh, I know I've fallen in love with Jesus and you still steal from your employer. How does that make any sense? All right? It doesn't work like that. So those are some things today about revival. There's plenty more, but uh, I think that's the broad enough layout so you can look at it, okay? So we'll take a short break and then come back in a few minutes, all right?